This is Finding Joy, the healthcare professional's journey to wellness and resiliency. It's a podcast developed by a team of interprofessional education researchers from Washington State University Health Sciences Spokane. They're promoting wellness among students, faculty, and healthcare professionals during challenging times. Funding is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. I'm Doug Nadvornik. Many medical school faculty members are also active practitioners. They both care for patients and oversee students and residents who care for patients. Dr. Carl Hine from the Washington State University College of Medicine is one of them. We asked him to share his experience of balancing his two priorities, patient care and teaching. By day, he's the college's associate dean of clinical education on its Spokane campus. On nights and weekends, he's an ER doctor. I currently work at the Deaconess Emergency Department in downtown Spokane. I've worked at a number of emergency departments around the state of Washington and in Alaska. Emergency medicine is a mostly rewarding job because, you know, you're helping people that really need help. Um, There are days when it's a very frustrating job because there are medical and social issues that the patients really struggle with, but you don't have resources to help fix them. Um, But when you can fix things, when you can help people, you, you know, you make a difference for people. And so how does that experience help you in teaching students? ER docs, they're generalists much in the same way primary care docs would be. We see every age, every kind of medical problem. We just see them in an acute phase. You know, we see them when they're quite miserable. You have to know a little bit about a lot of things um, and you have to be able to recognize when somebody is really in distress and needs you know some assistance that diversity of things that you have to understand and know about is helpful when you're teaching medical students especially because an undergraduate medical education is really trying to make a generic doctor we fine-tune the kind of doctor you are in residency but the you know undergraduate medical education program is really trying to make a generic doctor. So knowing a little bit about a lot of things is helpful for the diversity of information that we share with our med students. I'm assuming that for you, the ER doc part came before the medical education part. Is that correct? Well, I have a bit of a a different background. I did a PhD in comparative biomechanics before med school, and I was a faculty at the University of Montana teaching things like anatomy and physiology and medical physiology, not to medical students, but to, you know, nursing students, PT students, so forth. And then decided, you know, after doing that for a while that I would go back to medical school. But after medical school, I was very happy to just be a community ER doc. And I wasn't really thinking about doing academics again. So I did have some academic stuff, not so much in medical education, but related prior to being a physician, then became a physician, became an ER doc. And in that time, I was also working as a EMT, a firefighter, volunteer firefighter, working for an ambulance company. So I've done some patient care stuff in the kind of an emergency type setting prior. And then after residency, I just wanted to be a community ER doc. I didn't want to do traditional academic medicine. I was working part-time at the UW at the Montlake campus in Seattle, and I heard about WSU starting a med school. And I heard that it was going to be a community-based 
focused on rural and underserved medicine. And it's going to be a state-supported allopathic medical school. And a brand new allopathic medical school that, you know, is community-based with, you know, the mission of rural and underserved doesn't start very frequently. And the opportunity to help be part of the building of that just seemed like way too fun an option. Um, and so I said, all right, I'll apply to help start the WSU school. And I've been here for going on six years, actually going on seven years. Or I started here in the fall of 2015 part-time and then moved to Spokane in 2016. Yeah, I was working as an ER doc in Juneau, Alaska, and I was very happy doing that. Um, so it, it was a really interesting opportunity to take me away from Juneau, Alaska. You use the term community medicine or community-based medicine. What is that? What does it mean? We at WSU don't have a hospital. Um, we have a little bit of a practice plan with Range Community Health, but we rely on community practitioners and community clinics and hospitals around the state to do the clinical education for our students. Most medical schools will use a large academic teaching hospital for their educational work. The challenge with that is that students are educated in a setting where there are every subspecialist and all these resources, and it changes the way you think about practicing medicine. You know, it's harder to go from, you know, working at the University of Washington Medical Center to working in Moses Lake because the resources that you have are totally different. And you have to think about things and practice differently. And that changes the way physicians come out and work. And if you train physicians in an environment that's more like what the real world practices, it's going to affect the way they approach problem solving and clinical reasoning and how to use resources and, and a lot of things about taking care of patients. So do you work with students when you're in the emergency room? I do. I shouldn't say this out loud here, but I have both UW students and mm -hmm. WSU students mm -hmm. that work with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I have residents that also kind of work in the, with me in the emergency department. How do you fold all those students and those residents into what you do? I try to have one, maybe two learners at a time because it gets a little crowded if there's too many of them. The students, regardless of what school they're from, they have a pretty similar kind of set of skills they need to master and things they need to learn about. So I direct them to interact with patients in a way that helps them develop those skills. So pretty clear one is, you know, get, gathering a history and a, doing a physical exam and then coming up with a, uh, a workup plan. Like, how are you going to diagnose what they're here for? What kind of diagnostic testing? What kind of interventions? You know, do they need to be admitted? Can they go home? And so helping them to kind of collect the data, think about what other data they need, come up with an assessment and a plan to help the patient have the optimal health. And so depending upon where the student is in their learning, you, know, you focus on different aspects of when the students are working with you. So how does having the students there improve your practice and affect the way you practice medicine? That's a good question, and there's not an easy answer to that. You know, I try to give the same kind of care to the patient, so it doesn't really change the care I gave the patient. The patient may feel more cared for because they've had more attention, because an extra person has come in and spent time with them. 
Um, they also may feel more annoyed because an extra person has come in and asked the same questions. <laughs> so it doesn't really change the care the patient gets. I do sometimes see patient issues and other issues through a fresh set of eyes. Because, you know, if I've been doing this for a while and I've seen a lot of things and, you know, I, I kind of have an idea of what's going on. And it's nice to be reminded um, what it's like when you haven't got that experience and background. There's also a sense of optimism and freshness and other kind of characteristics that come from a medical student that kind of reminds you why you're doing this. You're listening to the Finding Joy podcast. I'm Doug Nadvornik. My guest is Dr. Carl Hine. He's an emergency room doctor at Spokane's Deaconess Hospital and the Associate Dean for Clinical Education for Washington State University's College of Medicine. So I don't know what your arrangement is, how many hours a week, let's say you work in the emergency room versus how many hours a week you're teaching, but how do you balance that? Not long ago, it wasn't well balanced. I was just working all the time. I was working here at the university Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, and then I was working nights and weekends in the emergency department. That wasn't very well balanced. In October last year, I um, got a new position at the university, so I'm the associate dean for clinical education for the Spokane campus, which is, a, you know, it's a pretty significant job. And, and it is requiring more time, more of my time and energy to do that job. So I've cut significantly back on the amount of clinical work I'm doing. So I'm working... I average right now just a couple shifts a month. Um, I was doing four or six shifts a month, um, but I found when I was doing that, I was just working too much. Yeah. Is it enough for you? That's a great question. I have two goals with continuing to do clinical work. One is I want to keep my skills up, and that's a really important thing to me is to still be competent at what I'm doing when I'm in the emergency department. Four or six shifts a month, it was pretty easy to keep your clinical skills up because you're still seeing enough stuff. Two shifts a month, I am a little more worried about whether I will have my skill set as sharp as it would be because that's not a lot of time. What are the skills that seem to slip away in, the, in that case? Some of the things that slip away most quickly are just procedural skills. That you know, If you don't practice doing things, you aren't as good at them. Fortunately, I've been doing this for a while, so I've done lots of them. Once you know how to ride a bicycle, you can get back on a bike and keep riding. Although the first time you get back on when you haven't been on for a while, you may be a little bit wobbly. And there are skills in emergency medicine that are pretty critical to be able to do quickly with a pretty unstable patient. Endotracheal intubation or placing central lines. Um, So those sorts of skills I worry about or my skills there are still sharp. Some of the thinking skills, because I teach them and I still think about them working with the students, those skills I'm not as worried about degradation, but some of the other skills that I may not have practiced for a while, like it's been a while since I put in a chest tube. I'm pretty sure I could still do that competently, but at some point you have to worry about that. So when you have students with you, what are you good at teaching? The procedural skills depends on the patients that we're seeing. Things that are common in the emergency department that are really good skills for the students to learn are suturing wounds. I mean, we have people coming in needing stitches regularly and helping students learn how to sew wounds is a great one. 
putting on splints when people have a fracture, um, reducing dislocations. You know, those are good skills that we can work on in the emergency department for procedural skills. How has medical education changed from maybe the days that you were a medical student? And why are they doing things differently? I remember textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first personal digital assistant prior to smartphones. So I remember having pockets stuffed with reference material. And, and now I have a little you know, electronic box that I carry in my pocket that has access to more data and information than, you know, I could have possibly carried before. Access to data and simple facts is so prevalent now that focusing on getting students to remember that stuff isn't as important. When I went to school, we had a textbook for physiology. Now, when I teach physiology, I've got five different textbooks that are all online. And for this topic, I say, read this chapter in this book. And for that topic, another book, a different chapter is a little bit clearer. And so you can kind of pick and choose a little bit more because of the online access. The translation from facts and information to knowledge and wisdom is still really hard. And figuring out which source of facts, which references you are more trustworthy. And so there's a different set of skill sets that students today need because they don't need to remember as many facts, but they need to know how to organize, categorize, criticize the facts that they are accessing. And so it's changed the way you kind of have to get them to think. Another thing that I think, and this is you know one of my biases, because I also teach health system science stuff, that thinking about the healthcare of a community rather than just the, the individual patient in front of you and how you kind of help the community to be healthier is becoming a bigger part of medical education rather than just making sure you do the best job for the individual in front of you, but making sure you do the right thing for your community. Carl, that's all I had. Anything I didn't ask you about that you think is important to talk about? Yeah, there are a couple of things I do want to kind of also add. Medicine is hard, and with the pandemic, it's been even harder. And there's a lot of, you know, there's different labels for it. You know, burnout is the most common one, but moral injury. And providers at all levels feeling a little overwhelmed and less enthusiastic. One of the really nice things about teaching is it kind of helps to reinvigorate and kind of get you thinking positively about the patient care that you're doing. It, it kind of gives you fresh eyes to look at the medical care. I see a lot of the physicians that are kind of tired and grumpy, but they feel more energized when they have a student that works with them. You know, there's a benefit to the individual physician, you know, beyond just kind of the relationship with the student. Carl Hine is the Associate Dean for Clinical Education for Washington State University's Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. He's also an emergency room physician at Spokane's Deaconess Hospital. We thank him for his perspective. The Interprofessional Opioid Curriculum Team also wishes to thank these people for their contributions. Dr. Barb Richardson, nurse, educator, interprofessional champion. 
Cameron Cup, the creator of the Finding Joy musical score and a current enrollee at WSU's Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. Washington State University staff from marketing and communications, financial services, and the collaboration for interprofessional health education, research, and scholarship. This episode of Finding Joy was produced by Doug Nadvornik. If you're interested in sharing your perspective about wellness and resiliency as a healthcare professional, or you'd just like to reach out, you can contact our team by sending an email to medicine.ipoc at wsu.edu. And we encourage you to visit our website at opioideducation.wsu.edu forward slash about. We thank you for listening. I'm Doug Nadvornik.